Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. Thank you for joining me today for part two of my conversation with Kim Erickson, the author of Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss. If you missed last week's discussion, you'll definitely want to stop and listen to that first so you can hear Kim's story of the loss of her son, Austin, and how she found new life in Christ. Today, in part two of our conversation, we review several topics she wrote about in her book and the very practical and helpful tips she gives for surviving sorrow. I know you will be encouraged by our discussion as we jump right back in where we left off last week. So what about dealing with those people who try to comfort us, but maybe do it rather clumsily (laughs) and may actually unintentionally add to our pain? Um, Do you have any advice on dealing with those folks? Yes, I, I do. And it's twofold. I think, I think something that's very common is being hurt by that. And so you're definitely not alone in that. Your closest friends, your family, they're probably going to hurt you in some way. You're just so tender right now that it's almost unavoidable is how I feel about it. Like whether you're hurt or let down or disappointed. Um, So first, that's all normal, I think. And then secondly, if I could go back and do it over, I would try to do it better. I would, I would try to have more empathy and more grace um, for the people who were trying to help me and to recognize they are trying to help you, uh, Kim. And I was not so gracious, probably. And so I really would love a redo right. on that. So if you're facing that, just do your best to pause and remind yourself that they are brave. They're very brave because they are trying to come alongside you and, you know, maybe give them a little leeway um, in the way they're behaving. Right. I think that's good advice. I know uh, before Hannah went to heaven, I was one of those people that um, I actually tended to avoid people because I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I'm sure when I did speak, I probably did say the wrong thing. So I think we need to kind of remember that we were those people one time ourselves. And uh, just to have grace. Like you said, they're brave. If they're even trying, they're brave. Yes. So, yeah. So one of the most difficult things to deal with after the loss of a child is what to do with all of their stuff. Uh, you recommend not making any decisions about your child's things early on in your grief, and I heartily agree with that. But at some point, we do have to deal with those things. In your book, you share some very practical tips about this topic. Would you mind sharing a few of those tips with us? Sure. Um, it really is about getting to uh, Target and Walmart and getting those bins, like those big, yeah. you know, kind of plastic bins and labeling one keep. Like these are things that are special to me um, that I don't ever want to give away. And so there's a, a keep uh, bin and there's a hold maybe for later bin and then there's a giveaway bin you know it really doesn't touch even though it was in his room like it doesn't really have any significance to him or me or Devin or Ethan so it really can go in the giveaway bin sure and so we just made those bins and you know occasionally early on we would just kind of put things in the bins you know if we 
saw something. And, and then eventually, you know, we asked uh, Devin's parents to come and help us. Um, there was a family who could use all the furniture that was in Austin's room. And mm. that was really, you know, troublesome to keep that. Um, it was a bunk bed set. And, um, you know, in that setting is is where, you know, the nanny and my husband found him and mm. started CPR yeah. and we just needed to change that room. And there was a family sure. that could have used the furniture. So we had them come and other people, we asked people to help us like transform this room uh, in like a day. And, mm-hmm. but we had the bins, right? Like, and they would just be like, you want to keep this or hold it or give it away. And yeah. we just quickly were able to go through his thing. So I would say, you don't have to make decisions now and you can even hold stuff for later but at least taking some action and maybe asking for help is a good idea. Yeah. Well, and I love the idea of having a hold bin because sometimes you just can't make that decision right away. And uh, no, that's a good option. Especially if you have kids younger. Like I, I just yes. didn't know if I would be okay to see Ethan wearing the same pajamas, you know, like as Austin wore, like I just didn't know sure. if that was going to be okay. So you know, I just, I, you just don't know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, the whole bin was full most of the time. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, I was thinking that would probably be the fullest bin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Might need a couple of hold bins. You might. And then, but yeah. eventually I will tell you those bins went away. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. they, they just did, takes they got donated eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So another chapter title that caught my eye was the chapter called The Six-Month Slide, because mm. I certainly experienced that myself. So what do you mean by the six-month slide, and how can we as grievers cope with that? Oh, that's that phenomenon that happens where everybody thinks you're supposed to be getting better, but you are getting worse, right? and you know it. You know, and you're you might even be hiding it from everybody else because they're expecting you to be getting better, and yeah. you know you're getting worse. Right. And that happened for us around the six month mark, um, roughly. You know, and I've talked to enough grieving moms to know now that that's pretty common. Um, even you know, outside the child loss, it's pretty common. It's like all of a sudden it's real. You know, you've come out of the fog. You're back to your life, and everybody's back to their lives, and yet your life is completely shattered still, and you're pretending yes. like it's not. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's just real. It becomes more real. Like you start to really realize what you've lost right around. Mm-hmm. You're just in shock till then. Maybe I don't know, but sure. Something yeah. happens that you start to get worse. And I just want parents to know that that's, you're not really getting worse. You're just processing your grief and it's okay. Um, don't panic. You're it, it's okay. okay. You're just going through it and you'll come out the other side. So yeah, that would, the six-month slide is tough. Right. I remember reading that um, in, in something that I read early on in my grief. And so when that happened to me, I was kind of expecting it. And I think that helped me deal with it. Um, it helped me realize that, okay, I'm really not getting worse. 
like you said, it's just part of the process. And so hopefully that'll encourage some folks that are listening and thinking, oh my goodness, I am, I'm getting worse. It's six months, seven or eight months, nine months, somewhere in there. It's different for everyone, but that you do hit a point where you just, you just are really sliding and it's hard to, it can be very overwhelming. Yes. Um, But it's just, you just kind of have to ride it through and you yes. do get to and the other panic. side. Yeah, that's, I wanted to panic. I think I did panic, you know, because I just didn't, I didn't want to be doing worse. <laughs> I wanted to be doing better. And it was just so scary. Yeah. It was very scary. For sure. In your book, you share about your brother, Mark, being diagnosed with terminal brain cancer about six years, I think, after Austin went to heaven. And you had already lost one brother in a car accident, and you lost some other people that were close to you around that same time, and you were angry with God. So talk about that a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, I just think it's okay. I know, like... Believe it or not, that was something I I had to work out of the book a little bit here and there because it's not, I don't know if people actually think that's biblical to be angry at God or not, but I was angry at God. Uh, And when Mark's tumor came back, um, he was doing so well. Um, He really was a miracle. My brother Mark was absolutely a miracle. They gave him two months to live, Mm. and he... um, with glioblastoma, and you just, yeah. there are no survivors. Right, that's, that's what our daughter had. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm sorry, sweet that's, Hannah. Yeah. Oh, Hannah and Mark are buddies That's up there. right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I wondered oh, when yeah. I read about him, I wondered if it was glioblastoma just from the way you described it. So, yeah, you yes. got several years, right? Yes, um, we did. Yeah. He, I mean, he was such a miracle. The, the doctors, so they did the surgery and they did all the chemo and radiation following the surgery, but they had left 10% of the tumor wow. in his brain because they couldn't get it. Sure. And so 10% of the tumor was left in there and he went through the radiation and chemo and it was time for his like final scan, like the big... MRI, whatever, however detailed they get it. And they came to give the results and they said, well, we're going to have to do this scan again. Mm -hmm. And he was like, why? I didn't move. Like it was, I was very still like, what's the problem? And they said, well, your brain looks perfectly healthy. Wow. Like there's no glioblastoma. Wow. I can't even see the results of the surgery. Like we should be able to see we left 10% of the tumor in there. (laughs) We should be able to see our work. Like there should be scarring from our surgery. Like we should be able to see stuff in your brain, but it looks perfectly healthy. So we think there's some error, like something's got switched or whatever. Yeah. And so they scanned him again and no, his brain was perfectly healthy. Yeah. And I was so excited. My mom was thrilled. Our whole family was I mean, I was like, God, that is a miracle. We prayed that tumor away. Yeah. He did it. Yeah. I was all on the mountaintop. Sure. Uh, and so for about 18 months, we, you know, basked in the glory of that miracle. And um, yeah, then he, I got a call from my brother to say, um, I'm sorry to say it's back. Mm-hmm. And I was mad. I was like, why would you give us a miracle and then take it away? Sure, <laughs> of course. You know? And, um, I remember saying that to my mom and she, I told her like, oh no, God and I are going to, we're going to have to talk about this. He is going to hear from me. Yeah. You know, like 
I am mad and I, he's going to know it. <laughs> like I'm going to let him have it. Right. And I remember her saying like, do you think you should talk to God that way? You know? And I was like, of course, like it didn't occur to me to talk to God any other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, but that's the result of that relationship, right? Like, so for many years, not many, really only a handful of years, I had been clinging to God through Austin and growing and learning and seeking him and pursuing him and chasing him. And, and I just felt like I certainly could let him have it because he knew me that well. And I knew him that well. And right. he's my father. He's, yeah. he's my father and, and he knows how hard this is. So I think we can pitch a fit. It's just like when our toddlers pitch fits, like, you just look at them and you wait till they're done. And then you say, "Are you know, okay, you done? And that's just how I feel like right. God deals with me. I, it's okay. Pitch your fit. Yeah. Like, he's, he'll just wait for you. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and I like how you actually, you said in your book that you can, we can express anger toward God while still retaining a proper reverence for him. And I think that's important, you know, just like right. you were saying, you're, 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 as a child, you might get angry at your parents and you might um, yell at them or pitch a fit or whatever, yet we still retain that reverence that we have for them as our parents. And I think we That's can do that exactly with God true. as well. We can express our anger to Him, yes. but still keep that proper reverence. Um, I, I, I like the way you kind of describe that in your book. That is absolutely true. Like, I think we all know what that looks like when a kid steps mm-hmm. over the line, right? They, yes. Whoa, they took it too far. And yep. I think that's very um, easy way to judge your behavior next to God. Mm-hmm. And I also think at some point, once you get it out, you know, and you've pitched your fit, then it's time to turn back to him and bow at his feet, right? And be like, okay, I just needed to get that out. Like you are Lord, you are almighty God, you are beautiful, you are holy, you are magnificent, you are good, you know, and I just, you, you got to turn back, you know, he, he's okay with letting it out and letting us pitch a fit, I think, but you're right. Like that reverence, that acknowledgement of him as King and Lord and creator is, it's got to be there too. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think it's Nancy Guthrie who talks about the fact that we can express our anger to God, and that that is fine, and that is normal. Those are normal emotions. But there's a difference between expressing our anger to God and and adopting a lifestyle of being angry with God. Um, Yes. You know, I, I think there's a difference there, and I think that's what we need to be careful about. Is is beginning to have a lifestyle where we are um, kind of permanently angry at God. And we need to be careful about that. Yeah. Early on in our walk, um, a pastor at our, we were at our church and a guest pastor took the pulpit one Sunday and he uh, put up his slide and said, why do you, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, great. You know, (laughs) like this is, I, can I even sit through this, you know? Right. And um, and he, the next slide, like, crossed out the good and said, there are no good people. People want to ask, like, why me? Like, that's usually the the source of the anger is, like, why 
why me? Why us? Like we're, you know, lots of Christian parents lose their kids and they're following God and they're chasing God and they're doing all the quote unquote good things. And what he really pointed out is like, why not you? Right? Like we're all sinners. We're all the same. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not about that. Like we, we, we all deserve nothing. Right. Everything we have is a gift. And I was like, wow, that really, that really makes me shift to thinking, wow, he, it was such a gift to get Austin for three years, yes. right? My marriage yes. is a gift. Like everything's a gift because <laughs> yeah. we don't deserve anything. You right. know? Yeah, exactly. So we all know that the big days like holidays and anniversaries and birthdays are going to be hard. But I know I was completely caught off guard by the dozens of little small triggers that I faced on just regular ordinary days after Hannah went to heaven. That dreaded, how many kids do you have question. Uh, the the yeah. family gatherings and family photos. Walking down the cereal aisle at the grocery store. Seeing an ambulance on the highway. Going back to church. Trying to just participate in small talk with other parents. Um In your book, you talk about taking every thought captive uh, as you deal with these triggers, these daily triggers. Um, Talk about that a little bit. Man, that is so hard. Isn't that surprising? I don't know. It's so surprising that the everydays are more difficult than the big days. I mean, the big days are hard, but it's it's really the everydays that are harder. Um, They kind of knock us down a little bit, you know. Um, and so, yeah, the taking every thought captive is, you know, we're going to get triggered. Like you got to be ready for it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the verse that I use is the one we've already talked about. That's on my wall. That was a gift. Like, Lord, you're going to be near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. And, and Philippians four, four through eight is another one. Like I memorized. So I really think to get untriggered, uh, to hold it together and get through those everyday triggers, scripture, 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 scripture. Yes. Yes. Um, because you have to, you have to be in charge of, of your emotions. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're gonna run you to the dark places. And so you have to be ready for it, and you kind of have to be determined that no, I am not going to lose it in this cereal aisle or. Um, I'm not going to avoid that dinner party, even though I really want to, because small talk is so hard. I'm going to find some scripture that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even small talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, scripture for sure. Yeah. That's great advice. So your book includes a chapter written by your husband, which is actually in the form of a letter from a grieving husband to his wife, and that it's great. Um, and then you follow that up with your own mourning and marriage chapter. And I'm so glad that in that chapter, you took some time to address the myth <laughs> about the divorce rate after child loss. Um, talk about that just a little bit and then share some of what you've learned about marriage and mourning. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, it is a myth. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. all you've all heard it. If if you are a grieving parent, you and you are married, uh, you have heard people say, "Oh, uh, you know, how is your marriage going to survive that?" Right. Or 
wow, you guys are making it. I, everybody thinks that marriages don't last through child right. loss, and that's or they'll quote false. a statistics. You know, it's it's eighty five percent or ninety percent of marriages fail after the loss of a child. Yeah, it's not true. There's no study that says that. Yes, exactly. And people feel the need to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why would you project the worst onto us? But, um, but yeah, it's not true. So if you're listening and, and you're feeling like, gosh, I don't know how my marriage is going to survive this. Um, stop thinking that, right? Like that's the, that's part of taking the thought captive, right? Stop yes. it. Like you do not have to think your marriage is not going to survive this. It, it can, and you just have to be determined about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just like taking every thought captive, you have to be determined and committed. And, um, you know, it's going to be hard. I mean, it, it absolutely is going to be hard. You're going to grieve differently. Um, you're going to have different stages and cycles at the different times. And, you know, it's, it's going to be hard, but I remember my, my husband does say it in his letter and I just think it's so perfect. He says, you're still each other. You still love each other. You know, she's still the the one you fell in love with, he's still the one, you know, who swept you off your feet. Like you right. still love each other. Like you're still a couple, you're still a family and you just got to cling to that. You know, that's, that's not shattered. You're, you're still a family and we had us and we had a baby. Um, and we were determined to, to not let Ethan lose any more. Yes. <laughs> He'd already lost his brother. He was not going to lose his family unit. Right. Like, no. And so I would just encourage you to get stubborn about it and just declare it and speak it over your marriage and pray it over your marriage. No, my marriage is going to be better because of this. Mm-hmm. We're yes. going to be closer because of this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to cling to each other. We're going to hold each other up. And so definitely a prayer of my heart was at that time and still today even is, Lord, please let me build up and encourage my husband. Let me never, ever tear him down. Mm. And that, you know, mm-hmm. that helps me a lot is to, because you're not always on the same page right. about things. And so I think prayer, prayer, prayer. Yeah. And feeling good to say to people who say, oh my goodness, your marriage is never going to make it, to say, actually, you're wrong. Lots of marriages survive losing a child. Exactly. So don't believe it. Right. Right. Well, and I think you gave a great example um, a little while ago where you said that Devin um, was troubled by pictures of Austin. And so you probably sacrificially put those pictures away uh, so that uh, they weren't triggers to him. They may have brought comfort to you, but you gave him grace and met his need in that regard. And I think that's something that we have to do as husbands and wives is figure out, uh, well, communicate with each other. We shouldn't have to figure it out. We should be open (laughs) to tell each other um, ways that we can help each other through grief and then be willing to do those things. Yes. I mean, that's the very definition of good marriages, right? The communication and the sacrifice and the give and take. I mean, he sacrificed for me for letting us stay in that house. Yeah. You know, he wanted to move almost right away. Mm-hmm. And, but he, I just like, I, I can't, all of our memories are here. Right. I can't move out of this house right now. And so it's, it's that beautiful 
marriage relationship where you you give and you take. And so we stayed in that house for almost four years afterwards. Like it was the least I could do to take down the pictures. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So it's give and take. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. That's part of it. Yeah. Another topic that arises at nearly every While We're Waiting weekend we host is about sibling grief. Uh, You yourself are both a bereaved sibling and the mother of a bereaved sibling. Um, My daughter was 14 when her older sister died. So I have learned and and continue to learn about dealing with the grief of a teenage and now an adult bereaved sibling. But I really know nothing about how to parent a young child through grief. And, you know, we often have parents come to our retreats whose kids are young, uh, like Ethan was when Austin died. So what advice do you have for parents of very young children who lose a sibling? Yeah, because it is different, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was 19 when we lost Jeff and, you know, well into my 40s when we lost Mark. And so it it was different, I think. Um, And Ethan was so little. He was only 15 months. Um, But it was, it's like a double-edged sword, like much of grieving, right? It's like a two-sided coin. Yes. (laughs) Um, We wanted him to remember Austin and yet... I didn't want him to have grief. Yeah. And I didn't really want him to, like, have my grief. Right. Like, I don't want him to catch mine because he was so little. Like, he doesn't have, he's not going to really have his own grief. And yet it's such a big hole in our family. Like, we got to talk about it, right? Sure. Like, so I was really struggling with that. And I, I think I got some really good advice. And that was this, to allow Ethan to, to direct that train to to drive the car allow the the child to drive the conversation and you know but be open and communicating with him like oh that's you know that's um a special thing for mommy Ethan or you know Austin made it for me so that's why it's special like it's okay to talk about Austin sure um but I don't have to like worry about his grieving. He was so little that they'll talk about it. Kids don't know not to talk about stuff unless we teach them that. Right. And so she said, just be always open. If he wants to talk about Austin, like be open to talking about it, but let him initiate it. And I think, I think that was a good approach, especially for Ethan. Um, And, you know, when he taught, wanted to talk about Austin, we'd talk about him, but I didn't really say, oh, are you sad? You know, I didn't ever like initiate a conversation about grieving with him. Mm. Um, So that's how we've done it. But he was so little. Um, I know there's some great books uh, for kids about heaven. And um, one of them for parents out there is Randy Alcorn Mm -hmm. wrote Heaven. Mm -hmm. So Randy Alcorn's book called Heaven is very good. And then he did Heaven for kids. Yes. And it's fantastic. Yes. Filled with great things to talk about with younger kids and tweens and teens about heaven. And so that's a great uh, resource too. Oh yes, I agree. That's it's and it's so biblically sound. Um which a lot of material yes. that you can you can get a hold of is is not as well researched and as as biblically based as Randy Elkhorn's material, but that Heaven for Kids was um something that was very helpful in our family. Hannah was the oldest of all of the grandchildren. Um, She had several cousins that were younger than her. 
And so we got that book for all of them because they all had questions about heaven and, sure. you know, what had happened and, and all of that. And I would think part of the challenge of parenting a young child through grief is as they mature, their understanding about death and heaven and things like that evolves and grows. And so as a parent, you have to be prepared to handle grief at those different stages as they mature. Um, is that right? Yeah, that is very true. Like when he was younger, he would ask questions like, do you think Austin would run faster than me? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like those were his questions. Yeah. You know, it was about whether who was going to win the race, right? Because he's a boy. Um, but as he got older, it would be more like, do you think he's going to be three when we get to heaven? Yeah. Or do you think he's going to be two years older than me? Right. And I, you know, you have to say, I actually don't know. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, is he going to know us? You know? Um, I said, yeah, I think he's going to know us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is why that book is so helpful. Because yes. it gives you scripture to turn to and say, well, this is what God's word says, this. So we know whenever God's word says it, like we can trust it. Right. And um, to just kind of point him there, I think for older kids that that allows them to to discover how the Bible can can speak into their lives in so many ways. And so right. anytime we can point them to scripture, that's that's the gold mine right there. Yes, for sure. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes too. So anybody that might be interested in picking that book up, um, I highly recommend it. Um, so that'll make it easy for you to find and for yourself, pick up heaven for you. Yes. Yeah. Pick up heaven for you and then heaven for kids, uh, for your siblings. Yes. The other book I recommend, you know, the book heaven by Randy Alcorn is a thick, thick book, but he has another one that's called 50 days of heaven. And it's that great big heaven book, but it's divided into 50 like devotional length readings um, that you can just spend over 50 days. Uh, You know, when you're early on in grief, you can't read (laughs) a huge book, but you can read something that's in more bite-sized portions, something that just takes a few minutes each morning to read. So that's another book that I recommend is 50 Days of Heaven by Randy Alcorn. That sounds fantastic. It's not nearly as well known as the big book. Right. But it's for a grieving parent, it's much more manageable than the really big book. Oh, yay. So I'll put that one in the show notes, too. Good. (laughs) Then I can look it up. So I remember early on in my own grief, I felt that somehow at some point it was going to be over. Hmm. I can even remember thinking, I can't wait for this part to be over. But as time went by, it began to sink in that there was no over This was something I would deal with for the rest of my life. And this realization can be incredibly overwhelming and discouraging. So what would you say to that grieving parent who finds themselves at that point right now, Mm. that this is something I have to do for the rest of my life? Yep. In in the book, Surviving Sorrow, it's called The Stretch. Like when you see the vast stretch of your life in front of you, and you realize that I really have to do this for the rest of my life. Like it's really overwhelming. And so I would say this is that it does change. Okay. So my, the way that the Lord showed this to me is like seashells. It's, it's, it's going to be there. And in the beginning it's heavy and it's thick and it's maybe rough and spiky. And then as the ocean works on the shell, 
like it gets a little smoother over time, a little thinner, a little lighter, you know, and over more time, the shell gets smaller. And, and so, yeah, you won't ever be over it. It's, there's not going to be an over that. I think that's the unique thing about child loss. Like, am I over my brothers? No, of course not. But does it impact my life every day? No, it doesn't. And that's the difference, I think, in child loss is it it really is every day. Yeah. (laughs) Something uh, every day. Um, And you know what? It's you, it gets smaller, it gets lighter, and you'll figure out how to carry it better Mm -hmm. and what to do with it. And so, yeah, it won't be over, but I can assure you, it does get better in some respects, that you get better at dealing with it and handling it. It does get lighter to carry around every day. Yeah, it's so encouraging to know that. And it's true. I've experienced that in my own life. So um, hopefully that's an encouragement to someone who's listening today so. whose shell is still really spiky and, and heavy, um, that it does it does get better over time. The title of chapter 13 really caught my eye also because it's similar to the name of our ministry. <laughs> it's a, it's the title is while you wait for heaven, finding purpose in the here yeah. and now. And the while we're waiting ministry is all about that. Our desire is to encourage grieving parents to live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. And I think every bereaved parent has des- has this desire to find their purpose after their child has died. So what advice do you have in that regard? Hmm. My advice would be to to look for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I think a lot of parents do try to find that purpose in the pain, right? But man, I have to tell you, Jill, I've met some that they're not looking for their purpose. Mm. They're not. Yeah. And and they're still trying to just kind of go through life and they feel like they've been dealt a hard blow and that that's it. You know what I mean? Like they and I just want to encourage you like God does not waste this pain. You were not given this pain. This pain was not allowed to touch you for no reason. There is a reason. Right. Um and that's isn't that what we all wanted? Like to know why, you know, like what yeah. is the reason for this? Sure. Um and so there, there is something there for you to do with that pain. Now, is it writing a book or like Jill offering these retreats and this, this great ministry and this podcast? Like maybe it's not that, but maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just rocking babies in the nursery. Mm-hmm. But something from your pain to drive into serving others. And one of my mentors uh, always likes to say, we go through what we go through so that we can help others go through what we went through. <laughs> it's Ooh, really hard to say. Yeah, I like that. But it's from a verse, it's from a scripture, and that's true. We we're supposed to turn around when we're able, not right away, but when we're able. I right. believe God intends for us to turn around and reach a hand back and help people get over it, get over the mountain, or climb up the stairs, or make yeah. it over the hill. Um, get out of their deep, dark pit. You're supposed to reach back and, and help somehow help sure. others with that pain. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So finally, I want to close by asking you about your family's motto. 
Tell us what it is and what it means to you. Mm-hmm. It's The motto is stepping forward. Mm-hmm. Stepping forward because if you don't, you're, the grief is just going to keep knocking you down. Mm-hmm. And so every day we just try to take one, just one, tiny step forward. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if we do that, if we took one tiny step forward... That is success as a grieving parent. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my husband even has that tattooed on his back, Uh stepping forward. Stepping forward. um, I love that. With a cross. uh, Yeah, with sweet. Yeah. We've even talked about, uh, we talk about that. We don't use that term necessarily at our retreats, but um, at our most recent retreat, we had folks there that, you know, were really new on this process. And we said, you know, even if you can't, move forward if if we could just lean forward you know there's some days Mm. that maybe you can't even take a step but you can lean (laughs) lean forward lean Um, forward i agree yeah you know sometimes that's all we can do and that's okay yeah that's okay but that's that stepping forward i like that yeah yeah that reminds me of the verse that says you know if you draw near to god he will draw near to you and so if yes. you lean forward, guess what? Mm-hmm. The creator yeah. of the heaven and earth will lean forward too. And next thing you know, you're going to be touching him, you know, and you're going to exactly. be face to face with our living God. Yes. And yes. just That's lean That's a beautiful forward. word picture. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Great. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, to Kim's website where there's all kinds of good stuff. You can download a free excerpt of Kim's book and a special prayer for bereaved moms. You've got a Spotify playlist on there, and I love that. It's kind of curated just for bereaved moms. You've got some of my favorite songs on there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a link to your Facebook book group. It's almost like a book club kind of thing, but it's on Facebook. And then there's information about your His Last Words Bible study on there. Would you like to say just a couple of a couple of words about that Bible study? Oh, sure, fun. That's what I really want to do is write Bible studies. <laughs> yes, that's so awesome. I love that. God let me do that first. He was so kind to me uh, to let me uh, do that first. Um, so His Last Words is um, a study of the Gospel of John chapters 13 through 17. So it's like the upper room, the last supper, the last few hours before he goes to the cross. And I think the reason that God pressed upon me to write that study is because of loss. So at that time when I wrote that, I I had lost my brother Jeff and I could remember exactly where he we were when we talked, what he was wearing. He had his Ohio State Buckeye football jersey on And I just, I can remember everything about it. And the same thing with Austin. Like, I remember what jammies he wore, what sheets were on Mm. his bed, what stuffed animal he chose. You know, I can remember everything we said around when he woke up and brushed his teeth. Like, I know what we said to each other. And when I got to these chapters of the Gospel of John, it just kind of, eventually it knocked me on my feet or off my feet um, because I realized this was their moment. Like the disciples, yeah. that, that night, that teaching, that, those chapters, 13 to 17, are what the, what the disciples would have clung to. I bet they remembered every detail of that last supper with Jesus because right after that, he died. And yes, he, he, of course, the resurrection, and he, they got to see him again. 
But I don't think that stopped them from clinging to that night and that final teaching when they all were sitting around the table. And I bet they can remember what it looked like, what it smelled like, what sandals they wore, you know, like sure. uh, yeah. what they ate. Um, so this is their moment. And and I just think it's, I, I want to know that about Jesus, right? Like we didn't get to be there. Um, and so I wanted that moment with Jesus to know exactly what he said before he left, you know, and, and right. so it's a line by line, verse by verse study and allows you to kind of dwell in those final words that Jesus spoke just before he died. And it's super powerful because it's, he knew he was going, so he packed it in there right. and it's awesome. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to look into that because that just sounds, sounds fascinating to me. So we're about to wrap up our conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? Oh, just thank you, Jill. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for ministering to all these parents and just encouraging people to to develop that relationship with the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. to if you haven't done it yet, I promise you it is the best decision you would ever make is to turn towards God, look at Jesus, and make him the Lord of your life. Accept him as the Savior for your sins. And get back into that fantastic relationship with God and work on that. If that is working, if you're working on that, everything else gets a little easier, including your grief. That's and right. so I would just say, please just dive into God and, and learn about him and, and he'll help you with all the rest. So I hope that encourages you guys out there. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I've enjoyed our visit today. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and, and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.